This is episode 10 with former Australian cricketer Brad Haddon. Welcome back to Talking With TK. I'm your host, Tristan Cannell. Got a bumper episode today. We've got former Australian cricketer, Brad Haddon. Brad's such a character of the game. You know, he's when you have a look at his career, 66 tests, 126 one-day internationals, while also being vice-captain of his country. You know, he's probably over the last decade, you know, one of my favorite players in terms of his aggressive style, his cheekiness out on the field. But just hearing his story just recently by reading his book, My Family's Keeper, and just some of the tragedies that have actually happened to his family and also what happened with his daughter, Mia, but the courage that she has shown and also the courage that the family has shown has been quite admirable. And, you know, someone that I do want to bring on is definitely someone like Brad because I think he can share definitely some not only great stories but some great perspective on life. And really just help all of us grow. So I'm really looking forward to get Brad on. Before I get Brad on, just a big shout out to everyone that's tuned in, subscribed, and left me five-star reviews on iTunes. I really, really appreciate it. If you haven't yet, please share it with your friends, share it with your family and friends, and subscribe. Leave me a five-star review. It would be much appreciated. Now, without further ado, I introduce Brad Haddon. Haddon. Brad is a former Australian cricketer who represented Australia in all three forms of international cricket. His distinguished career included 66 tests, 126 one-day internationals, while he also was honoured as vice-captain of his country during his career. Originally from the ACT comments, Brad had a long state career with the New South Wales Blues, while also playing currently in the 2020 competitions with the Sydney Sixers. In, and the Islamabad United. I welcome Brad Haddon. Brad, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, mate. Nah, you're more than welcome. Did I get that right? Islamabad United? <laughs> yeah, it's a mouthful, no. Islamabad, I've been there the, the last two years. It, um, it was a, yeah, it was an interesting time. The, the first year it uh, took off in, in Dubai, so we were lucky enough to, to win it straight away. So, yeah, it's always good to go and experience a different league, especially at my age. Yeah, definitely success. Who plays in that team? You and Steve Smith, right? No, the Islamabad team was um, uh, Miss Barlow Huck. What I played there, also Andre Russell, um, Sam Billings. So yeah, we we got to play with um, yeah some world class players from from other countries, which was which was great for what I and I. 
Fantastic. Well, first thing I want to talk to you today, Brad, uh, before we go on the show, I just mentioned that I've been reading a little bit about your book and I'm really, really impressed with your book, My Family's Keeper, which for people who haven't seen it yet is your autobiography and also goes into quite a big bit of detail about your brave daughter, Mia. So my first question for you, with everything that happened, obviously Mia being as brave as she was, what did the whole situation teach you about yourself? Oh, it didn't really teach us uh, anything uh, new about ourselves. It, it, it's, it was basically just um, reinforced what any father would do. Um, you, you should put your family, your family first. Um, and after spending so much time trying to get to, to where you needed to get to in, in your sport and loving every minute of the opportunity to play for Australia, when when something like um, that happens to your family, it's it's amazing how quickly you forget about everything else and, and your focus just goes straight into to your family and you, and you don't even think about something that you've you've done and loved for, for 20 years. So, yeah, all, all my focus was was making sure me had the best possible um, chance to survive, to, to be honest. Yeah, Brad, did your perception of what sport and cricket really meant, how much did that change? Was that just straight away? Oh, it, it didn't change. Oh, I always loved the game, but um, I, I was always brought up that, that your family always comes first. Yeah. Um, so when, when I was, oh, I thought when I walked uh, away from the game, I, I was never ever going to play again, and I, and I was uh, 100% uh, content with that because at, at the time we, we had a much bigger fight on our hand as a family to, to make sure me had the, the best chance, and, and I also had uh, two other boys that we had to make sure that um, what Mia was going through didn't affect all our family dynamics there and they had the best chance to, to go through different stages of their life with, without being affected what was going on with Mia. So, uh, as I said, I always loved the game of cricket and, and, and I always will and it's, it's been great. But to me, family was, was the priority then um, and there was something bigger than the game that we had to deal with. Yeah, and Ricky Ponning, he, he wrote your foreword. That, that must have been quite an honour to get Ricky to do that. from Ricky during your career? that you had such great captains during your time. You know, back end of your career, you had Michael Clark. Start of your career during your state cricket, you have had guys like Steve Waugh as well. Was there anything that you picked up from those guys that you like to teach some of the younger guys coming through still? 
back in the day when you were batting for the ACT Commerce. You're only a young bloke. You're only a few years older than me, but I saw you whack it out of the ground a few times for the ACT Comets. And at the time, because I supported the Blues quite heavily, and I knew that Phil Emery was coming to the end. So was that an easy transition to move from Sydney into straight pretty much into the New South Wales team? Uh, in all honesty, I was blessed um, to have the Canberra Comets come into the National One Day Comp when they did. Because a lot of guys... At my age, we're um, hustling and bustle, trying to get their, their first first-grade game or, or try to put performances on the board to get noticed to, to play second eleven cricket. But my first exposure to that was with the, with the Canberra Comets in the National One Day Comp. So what that allowed me to do was, was get noticed by all the state. Um, I didn't have second eleven cricket there. Well, I was straight on the on the on the national stage. Um, straight away so it was a great learning experience for me and, and I was very blessed that the Comets came at, at about 17 or 18 for me which allowed me to get that little stepping stone up to, to get that exposure a lot earlier than other guys did yeah did you find moving to Sydney tough? Um, I, I was ready to go when, um, when the time came um, and I made the break to, to go and I, and I knew I had to do an apprenticeship in Sydney so for me, I, knew, I thought it was going to take a, a while to, to get settled in, and, and that was my first real experience of, of living out of home and yeah. having to juggle um, work um, and, and trying to be a professional athlete with, with your dreams. So it, it was it was what well, wasn't tough as in um, that I was homesick, wanting to go home all the time. It was just tough um, getting used to something that was so foreign to me. Yeah, and how long did it take before you could make it a full-time career? I was lucky enough to, to go into the New South Wales squad when I arrived yeah. um, in Sydney on the, on the big dollars of uh, a $2,000 contract. Um, <laughs> so, so, yeah, um, and that, that year was, was probably one of the, my greatest um, education years of my career, to be honest. So I, I had the opportunity to, to work with Bill Henry. Um, he didn't let me catch any balls at the time, but I built up a relationship with him when I like throwing balls and hit balls. And because I was hadn't had any exposure to the the Wacker Ground or the Gabba Adelaide Oval or, or the SCG, I spent a lot of time talking to him about the different wickets and how they changed from day one to to day four. Um, and for someone who didn't catch many balls with Emmers at that time, it was one of the the greatest. Um, educations I've, I've had just just learning about the game, and then I've said it to him since. Um, I said that was one of the best learning experiences I've had. I said he didn't give me much catching wise. Um, <laughs> it was like the old bull and the young bull. Made sure I, I knew where I stood, but because I built that relationship, I was able to get an education on on what being a first class cricketer and more importantly, a, a first class wicketkeeper was about. Yeah. Obviously, Gilly set the standard in terms of being a wicketkeeper batsman. And as I did mention, you were a quite aggressive batsman since you are a younger age. But 
Where did that mindset come from? Yeah, well, Kelly ruined it, I think, for everyone because he was so good. <laughs> he, um, the keepers used to be a, a guy that could catch the ball and, and help out now and then with the bat, but Gilly uh, definitely um, changed the perception of, of a wicket keeper batsman. He, uh, after his year, you definitely, everyone was looking for that all round package, and, and teams still are. You've got guys like Quinton uh, Cock now who's probably the closest thing we've seen to Gilly for, for a while. Um, but, yeah, I, I was always... I, I enjoyed moving the game forward. Um, I, I think being at number seven, you've got to learn to, to change the momentum of the game and, and put the pressure back on, on the bowlers because to, to get the result of it going in your favour. So that, that's all that mindset was ever, ever about, was I enjoyed moving the game forward. Yeah, did you have a preference where you batted in the order? Um, I, I enjoyed number seven. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's, as, as a wicketkeeper, um, I, I think that's the best value um, spot in a, in a test match. I enjoyed my time at the top of the order in one-day cricket um, and 2020 cricket because you had that bit of, you, you're allowed to play with that bit of freedom. And I think it suits wicketkeepers as well because you've got that other string to your bow as well if you, if you do something stupid. And, and as keepers, we do a lot of that with the cricket bat in our hand, um, yet you always have the other party game to fall back from. So I enjoyed being at the top of the order in the, in the short forms. Yeah, I guess it would be quite physical too, being in the field. Like, I was just thinking about it the other day. Like, the amount of squats that you would do in a single-day session would be incredible. Yeah, oh, that's that's one of the things I, I pride myself on, and, and that was drilled into from my mum and dad, to, to be honest, is, is making sure... Um, I was always as fit as I could possibly be. You know, I enjoyed that part of, part of the game. Um, and I was always finding different ways to, to challenge my body to um, to get the best out of it and to be as fit as I can. So it's keeping roles demanding. And, and I always thought you, you make better decisions under pressure. And, and that's what the game's about, the fitter you are. Yeah, could I get insights into what a typical week of training would look like during your career? Yeah, oh, it's obviously great. I, I, I did a lot of my keeping stuff one-on-one uh, away um, before training started because a, a keeper can traditionally be left out of, uh, be forgotten about in your Tuesday, Thursdays or, or your net sessions because there's so so much going on. So I, I spent a lot of time in my early days with Steve Ricks and catching before training ever started. Um, there'll be a lot of one-on-one, um, a couple of one-on-one batting sessions, keeping, making sure you do your four or five fitness sessions and recovery week. On top of that, um, yeah, making sure yeah your fitness is where it needs to, and, and you're doing all the team stuff that you had to do, which is the most in, important part of the game. And the, the higher level you go, you've also got your promotions and that you, you need to do during the week. So yeah, that, that's how we would look. Yeah, would you do any specific hand training at all? Um, yeah, try not to break my fingers was the, <laughs> yeah. the, the main thing. No, um, no, not not really. It, Sometimes you might spend, oh, I know I did, um, weeks just catching tennis balls. Yeah. Um, it, it, I played a couple of times with some badly um, broken fingers and to put the gloves on during the week um, just wasn't go- going to happen. Um, so I spent a lot of time making sure I could find a way, with, whether it be with a golf ball or a tennis ball, to where I was catching and doing my drills uh, without putting the pressure on my hands. I, I need it. Okay. 
Brad, you kept to the likes of, you know, Mitchell Johnson, Brett Lee, Sean Tate. Who hit the gloves the hardest? Oh, that, when they're around that pace, they're all the same. They, those three you said there were all unique in their, their own way. I mean, what Mitchell Johnson produced in that, uh, the five mil ashes, whitewashing 2013, I've never seen bowling more intimidating as that in, in my life. Um, well, you had grown men coming out to that nervous by how aggressive Mitchell was bowling um, and that's that to stand behind the stumps and, and see the way grown men were reacting to that that was quite um, quite scary and I've, I've, I've taken a ball from Sean Tate that was 161 Ks but the fastest spell I've ever seen was Brett Lee um, the test match just before he got picked his first test against India at the Wacker for New South Wales yep. um, I would have liked a, a speed gun on on a that day, it's the only time I really um, sat back keeping wise and, th- and thought, oh, I don't know how I'd handle this pace um, on this day. Um, it was it was something that I've never, ever witnessed that sort of fast bowling before. Wow. Did you, did you have to stand back a little bit further? Well, we, we were um, just outside the 30-metre circle, and I remember Mark Wall saying to us, he'd just come back um, from a test match and I'm getting ready to play India at boxing. They said, oh, I don't stand this far back for anyone, and we'll, and we'd seen Brett the previous couple of games in New South Wales, and we just said, well, we're not going any closer. But two balls in, Mark Ward just went, wow. This is quick, and Stephen said, I need him for a test match. He was, the pace was just unbelievable. I'm sure that you were glad that he was on your team and on the other team, right? Oh, he, he hit, I was very glad. He hit Joey Angel that, yeah, that game um, on his arm guard, which is there to protect you, and it broke both, both bones in his arm. So he, he was just phenomenal pace. Guys, we hope you're enjoying the episode with Brad Haddon. If you haven't yet, I think you would enjoy our episode with Merv Hughes. Here's a little snippet from the interview. Yeah, no, see, a lot of, lot of people ask, can you ever forget your first test match? And in all honesty, no matter how hard I try, I'll never be able to forget my first test match. Yeah, well... Not for those reasons and none of the good ones, but it, it just it stamps um, the difference between domestic first-class cricket and, and test cricket. Yeah. The wickets are a little bit better, the batsmen are a little bit better, and like casting in a fish, the margin for error is is just, well, the margin, if you're, if you're a centimetre offline or length, you, you get whacked by the better batsman. Yeah. Um, so I, I, found, I found that in the first test match, and luckily in my first test match, um, had a great captain in Alan Border, uh, Bob Simpson had just taken over as coach and a selector of the, the Australian team. And my first 10 days in Adelaide, I learned so much about the way that I trained. Because I used to think um, quantity of training. Mm. So I'd go and train for three hours. And Simo and AB, and, and especially Simo, was, mate, you can't sustain it for three hours. What you've got to do is train for, for an hour, but go at 100%. Another great interview there with Merv. Be sure to check out some of our other ones with the likes of Mark Ocalupo. We've had Robbie Madison, John Bauer, Greg Murphy. The, the list goes on. So check them out. And please, if you haven't yet, subscribe via iTunes. If you're an Android user, you can check it out at www.talkingwithtk.com. Or if you want to get in touch with me, I'm at Tristan at talkingwithtk.com. Now, without 
further ado, let's get back to the show with our interview with Brad Haddon. Wow. Brad, you mentioned the 2013-14 Ashes whitewash over England. You know, you were one of the main contributors. You had an average of 61.62, 493 runs. Is that the most significant moment in your career? special moment, your 2008 test debut. Where were you when you got the call up for that? Um, where was I? Oh, it was interesting because I, I got a phone call from Adam Gilchrist just before he retired in Adelaide. Yep. Um, and he said, oh mate, I'm about to retire um, from, test, oh, from, from Australia. Um, good luck, you'll be the next keeper for Australia. So he retired the next day and the team the West Indies wasn't named for, for a fair while um, after that. So yeah, I was, you don't want to think um, about getting picked before you hear your name out, but yeah, a couple of weeks after Adam retired, that the squad was named for, for the West Indies. And yeah, it was um, it was a bit different to normal because guys, the batsmen go on tour, the bowlers, there's a, a handful of each, not knowing whether you're going to play the first test match. But I knew I was going to play as soon as the team got him out because there was only one um, keeper in the squad, so it allowed me to, to prepare the way I needed to. Yeah, and when did they give you your baggy green? Uh, just before, I got the baggy green just before warm-up. Ricky Ponyan presented it to me um, and welcomed me to the, to the club and, yeah, just enjoyed the, the moment. My family were there um, watching it. They made the trip to the, the Caribbean to, to be a part of it. So, yeah, it was it was special. It was um, something that I'd, I'd worked so hard for and just to finally get the opportunity but what I remember most about is Mitchell Johnson was a bit too excited also and in about his second <laughs> over threw a wide down leg side and because I was feeling energetic and I thought I could stop anything I, I died and clipped the uh, end of a finger and broke my finger 15 minutes in so yeah welcome to test cricket so tell the truth here Brad on boxing day do you whip out the hat and just wear it <laughs> do I what do you now? whip out the baggy green and just sit on the couch and just just wear it. I would. No, I haven't yet, but you know what? It's, it could happen. It's, it, Boxing Day was one of the best events ever to be a part of. Um, 90,000 people, uh, everyone in the Christmas spirit and in just going for Australia to, to pummel the opposition. So, yeah, I've got goosebumps now talking about it. So <laughs> now, you put the, now that you put the thought in the head, it might happen this year. It might happen tonight by the sound of things. <laughs> You never know. <laughs> <laughs> now, Brad, I see that you are going to be joining the coaching ranks with Jason Gillespie and Chris Rogers next month in South Africa. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm
found out kind of maybe a brief couple of things that maybe you can share with us? Oh, I think the, one of the most important thing is, is to get the right people. Um, good people generate good people um, and and be able to, to have a clear plan and, and make sure you create an environment where you, one, your athletes are enjoying it and, and challenge them to to get better and better every day. There's, there's no point just doing things for the sake of doing things that looks like it looks good on paper. You, you've got to be making sure you're, you're stimulating your athlete and, and, and your team to create an environment that everyone wants to get better and challenge themselves to, to be the best they can and perform under pressure. Yeah. Brad, were you good at celebrating wins? And what I mean by that, you know, we're all, we're all good at uh, having a beer and getting going out with the boys, but were you good at like kind of reflecting on everything that you actually did achieve? Yep, I loved celebrating wins. I, I think that was one of the most enjoyable parts of, of being a, a, a cricketer for Australia or, or playing sport. You've got to enjoy your win. Um, and then some days you might have come off three ducks in a row and you've got to make sure you, you're still enjoying that moment of win as, as much as a guy who's just got 300s in a row because that, that's what sport's about, enjoying each other's success, enjoying those moments. But that, that feeling you get when you've all the hard work that you've all done together, you can sit back and reflect on it and, and say, well done. And um, yeah, that, that's why you play the game for those moments and the feeling you get there. Yeah, one, one thing I wanted to ask you was if you ever drop a catch, and obviously it would happen from, you know, hopefully not every game, but heaps from, you know, from time to time it might happen. But when it happens and obviously you feel down, is there anything that you go to mental-wise that kind of picks you up straight away? Yeah, I, I think the one thing, it, it, it's, it's hard. Is you've got to trust your preparation. You, you've got to trust that you've done all the work you possibly can. And this goes back to what Ricky Ponting taught me at a young age that you've got to make sure you want to get to training every day to, to get better and better because those moments when you drop the catches and uh, have a bad day is when you start to second guess yourself and start to doubt your, um, your technique and stuff and once that gets into your game it, it's, hard, it's like a quicksand feeling it's hard to get back so you've just got to trust that you've done all the work and, and put that out of, out of your mind as quick as you possibly can to get on with the next moment because you know the, ne- the next time that chance comes you'll be ready for it and, and that's why we train that's why we put ourselves um, in those dark places to train and do all those little things that, to make us better is being able to be strong enough to come back from those drop catches or those bad days yeah fantastic now I've got a couple of just small personality ones just to end the interview did, did you have a favourite innings at all Brad? favourite innings yeah, I did. Um, oh, I think my favourite was in that 
in the Ashes campaign, the first test of the 2013-14 Ashes campaign at, at the Gabba. Um, I only got, oh, I only, I got 90 runs, but it was the way I, I got them. Uh, the partnership I put on with Mitchell Johnson to, to get us back into the game. Um, and another thing that not many know, it's in, in the book, but the family weren't there at that game. Okay. Uh, and and that to me was a good thing because oh, I, if I'd have seen my daughter or anyone up, that was the first test back in Australia and had it got 100, I, I don't think, I, I think uh, the emotions would have got the better of me. So mm. I was just happy to get 90. Still pretty good, man. All right. Next one is most challenging international venue. Uh, most challenging. A lot of keepers find India hard. The most challenging one, keeping wise, for me, I, I thought was was uh, Lords. Um, the ball wobbles a lot, and it's not where you need it to to be. Um, as a keeper, wise, it asks you a lot of questions of your technique um, over there. And if you can conquer that, yeah. It means your technique's pretty much in a, in a good spot. So the most challenging venue keeping wise for me was Lords. Okay, I'm going to take you back to your childhood now. What posters did you have on your bedroom wall? What posters? Uh, I'll tell you what, they weren't cricket ones. Um, growing up in, in Queenie, we we were exposed to... Um, we didn't have a first-class cricket team, so mine would have been probably a Laurie Daly or a Ricky Stewart. Oh, you're Raiders fan, mate. Yeah, I'm through and through. <laughs> Bad luck yesterday. All right. Yeah, that hurt. <laughs> Final question, uh, Hads. Uh, you're going to be hosting a private dinner party. Now, you've got five invites. Now, there's only two rules. It can be anyone, dead or alive, but it can't be any of your family or friends. Who are you inviting? Uh, I'm definitely inviting the king, Elvis. Um, I, I think he, he would be good. Um Oh, I'd like to spend some time and, and hear Nelson Mandela's story yeah. um, out of his mouth rather than what you what you read. Um, how many do I need? You need five, man. You need three more. Need three more. Um, I, I tell you, oh, this is a bit controversial, but I'd have to had to go Siddle, Harris, and Johnson because <laughs> their humour with how much they sledge. Ryan Harris. It can keep it can keep the even most um, boring dinner party going. And, and if I didn't ask um, Peter Siddle with uh, Elvis around, uh, he never talked to me again. But those three fast bowls, they, they gave me so much humour um, in my time playing for Australia. So I enjoy it with them. <laughs> so they used to take the Mickey out of Ryan Harris. Is that what you're saying? Oh my gosh, I, I've never I've never seen a person cop it so much. But from from those his fast bowlers and teammates, but I've also, if anyone else gave it to Ryan Harris, I've never seen two blokes jumping quick enough, quick as those two, to defend him. And when they went across the line, those three together, um, they were as sick as seas. There was they, they had a role to do together, and they just looked after each other like you wouldn't wouldn't believe. But but Ryan Harris, mate, he copped it from those two like you wouldn't believe, and he just took it. Um, he just took it. So it was, it was one of those unique relationships that oh, I enjoyed uh, my time with those three. Sounds like I should get the boys on their show. Mate, get them together. They're much <laughs> funny together. They're, not, they're no good one-on-one. They're not as funny one-on-one. 
I definitely have to do that. Now, Brad, you're really refreshing. You've got absolutely no social media, which is quite interesting, but it's something that's very refreshing to me. So, Yeah, i got no... No, I, I obviously you've got kids now that, that are right into the social media and stuff, but no, I, I don't feel the need to to um, to get on there at the moment. Mate, I don't sleep. If, if, so, if someone's having a go at me, I, I might like to slim out a message about one thirty back and <laughs> next thing you know, it's uh, front page of the, um, um, the paper. I remember the media lady for Cricket Australia said, had I never want you on social media. So, <laughs> so, so no, no, I'm, um, yeah, I'd rather ring up and say hello or go for coffee. Definitely. That's oh. the way I communicate with my mates. Everyone at home, make sure you pick up Brad's book. It's My Family's Keeper. You can pick it up at all good bookstores. If, if you can Google it, it is online as well. Now, Brad, thank you so much for joining me on Talking With Tika. I've had an absolute blast, man. It's been awesome. No worries. Thanks for having me. No, nah, most definitely. We'll do it again soon. Will do. Thank you. Thanks, Hads. Guys, we hope you enjoyed the episode with Brad Haddon. We've got a bumper, a couple episodes next week. We've got a couple Olympians in the house. We've got... Aerial skier Jackie Cooper, she's a five-time Olympian. Another five-time Olympian is also gold medalist and bronze medalist Natalie Cook. So don't miss out. Please share it with your family and friends. That's the best way you can help me grow the podcast. Tag me on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. I'm at Tristan Cannell or Tristan Cannell Fitness. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. Thanks again for tuning in. We really hope you enjoyed it. And until next time, I'm Tristan Cannell, and this was Talking with TK.